0: Again, 1 John chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 3 through 11 and verses 15 to 17. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Also verses 15-17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is God's word. How do you know there...
1: Huh. Jeez. How do I know...
0: How do you know you're not hearing things? How do you know I'm not someone in your head? How do you know for sure what? How do you know?
1: You know how I know you. How? How do you know? I just know. Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. Are you really? No. How do you know is an oft uh, repeated phrase that goes and runs through our minds and oftentimes finds voice through our lips. It is a question addressed immediately in the passage that Laura graciously read for us this morning from the Apostle John, where he says here in chapter 2, verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know. And that's John's way of saying, here's how you know that you really know. How do I know that I know God? Here's how you know. The church isn't exempt from this question. The last two weeks, I repeated the Apostle, Paul, Apostle Paul's challenge at the end of his letter to, this, to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, where he candidly asked each person to examine yourself. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith, test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. 2 Corinthians 13.5 And while that makes people nervous to even think about this, because Paul was addressing this to a church, because salvation is a free gift offered by just placing our trust in Jesus. Even if you fail to meet that test today, and I want you friends to even be open to that. I want to encourage you, even if you fail to meet that test, you might have immediate success, you might pass by placing your trust in Jesus today. You have that opportunity. That's a crucial disclaimer before I say anything else this morning. I'm back to John. We know that we have come to know God. Is especially important to John's audience. Because there was this worldview, this this view and perspective of the world that was beginning to creep into the church at large at this time, hadn't fully come to fruition. There was a view that had started called Gnosticism, and it taught that salvation, real life after this one, came through this secret knowledge that some people have, but not everyone, and the the idea was if you got this knowledge and lived it out through experience, you would actually have eternal life also. It created this spiritual experience for an individual, though you weren't necessarily called. In fact, you weren't called at all to any kind of moral or lifestyle response. In other words, you could get this secret knowledge, had this experience of the divine, but you weren't called to actually change your life. Today, you can hear similar testimonies, as you would have heard back then, from a Gnostic. You can hear testimonies from a yoga class, from a Zen Buddhism meditation, from an agnostic watching a sunset on Seven Mile Beach, or from a Christian church, all using similar words, similar words to describe an experience, powerful, transcendent, divine. All words you can equally say, "Oh, that's they're talking about Jesus," not necessarily. Notice the first three I mention can be experienced without any kind of moral response, any kind of lifestyle change, and many treat what they hear at church that way too. Am I right? I want to go. It's the pick me up I need. It's the experience I need. It's the good feel high I need but don't meddle with my life. And neither the Apostle Paul, nor more importantly for our purposes, the Apostle John say that a person's experience is how they know that they know God. Isn't that interesting? You'll hear from John throughout this series about fruit produced, about the Holy Spirit living inside of us, about what we believe about Jesus Christ, about participation in a church community as tests To know that we know Him. But feeling God, while awesome, isn't among those tests. Well, one more test you will hear, and you're going to hear it this morning from John, is what I believe he's saying in a nutshell, or a key question in a nutshell this morning. Examine yourself. In the fight against sin, have you given in? In the fight against sin, have you given in? I recall a young Christian once asking a wise pastor, You know, what if I keep on struggling, though, with sin? Well, you know, is my faith then genuine? Is it not? To which the wise old pastor responded, The fact that you are struggling is a sign that your faith is genuine. When there is no struggle, When God stops convicting, when the spirit stops disciplining, then you know you have a problem. When there's no more struggle, that's a problem. Hebrews 12.4 says this, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. That indicates that there is a struggle that will continue unto death and possibly get bloody. But the worst massacre is when the struggle ceases because it means you've given in to sin. You've just given in, given yourself over to it, as Paul says in Romans 1. That's when the real problem sets in. And John mentions here in this passage, these two passages, three ways that people give in. Indifference, isolation, and indulgence. Indifference, isolation, and indulgence. He also mentions in each of these three sections a clear consequence of giving in and thus failing the test. Three clear consequences. Such an even church-going person, John says, is, quote, a liar and the truth is not in him, verse 3. They are, verse 11, in darkness, and, and they walk in darkness, and they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded their eyes. Finally, verse 15 of such a person, John says, "The love of the Father is not in them." Now these are serious realities that we ought to take seriously. They're here in the Bible, friends. And they're meant for people who are going to churches, like us, even like myself. So, according to John, the first way people t- to give in, we've got to look at, is indifference. Look at that first. If you have a Bible with you, why don't you just, as we read this, just circle the key words you hear repeated. We've talked about this again. Whenever you're looking at the Bible and you're studying you see words repeated over and over again, Take a moment to underline. Circle them. Use a different color pencil or pen to make connections. Because usually that's what the author's trying to really highlight in those verses. So do that with me as we read verses 3 through 6. And we, by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Whoever keeps his word, in him, truly, the love of God, is perfected. By this, we may be sure that we are in Him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. What did you circle there? What did you underline? My hope is you underlined the, the verb "to keep, to keep, to keep." We see it three times. And three times we see the idea of commandments, the word, the range of this word "to keep. Tereo is much wider than simply do it. You know, when we hear the words commandments, you think, I just got to do it. I got to follow it. But rather, this word keep implies a duration, a perseverance to observe diligently, to guard carefully, to realize the truth, but not just do it, to bring it with you, to keep it near you, to protect it. Almost like you're its parent. I have piles at home. I have various piles of things. All right, you may as well. Here's my everyday pile I have up here. It includes my phone, my keys. i got some gum and a little pen. All right, stick those in my pocket along with my wallet, and I'm good to go. My wife, Katie, she's got a pile. Here it is. Um, Yeah, sometimes she doesn't get everything. She doesn't bring everything with her in the course of a day, but at least she's got her car keys, which is good. Um, A basketball pile. I love basketball. All right, so I've got my basketball pile here. Um, haven't, hasn't been used much lately. I'm out of shape. I got my beach pile. We got our family's beach pile. You know, our little thing ready to go. We go out to the uh, get some sun and fun. And of course, my Sunday morning pile in the office. Things I need. Special things I need to bring to church that week. There's. I, you think about this. You have these little things you bring with you. These little piles. And I realized that this week, man. I have these designated areas. These designated groups of things that I bring. Given the occasion I bring with me, only one thing I have on my person all day long, that's my watch. Otherwise, I tend to bring along with me what I need based on the situation. My question for you, friends, is do you treat God's Word like one of your piles? You bring it with you just for the right times, right? Quiet times. Maybe in the morning or in the evening and you're in bed. Community group. I've got to bring my Bible. I remember it. Sunday mornings, as fits the occasion. Is that when you take God's Word and bring it along with you? I don't just mean having a big old Bible with you. Oh, you could have a little one on your, your uh, smartphone or a little one in the back of your, your pocket. But I mean memorizing, having it in your heart and in your mind. Do you bring it with you? So for instance, you're going out on a Saturday night for dinner and maybe, maybe a drink with friends. Do you bring God's Word along with you? Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's time here to examine your faith. It's time to examine your faith. Not so much the drinking or even getting drunk. To wonder, do I, do I really know Jesus? you will mess up. But during the third, the fourth, the fifth drink, whatever it is for you? Are you facing the decision for another with God's Word as your compass? With either regret or a rightness to follow? Are you facing that decision, the next one, with God's Word as your compass? Does it come to mind? Or is this an automatic, yeah, I want to feel good, I'm going to go for number three, number four, number five, number six? There's God's word come to mind. Now, you may make the wrong decision, but my, that's not my question. The question is, does God's word put that fork in the road? Is that word coming to your mind, to your heart, to say, you know what? I brought it with me. I'm going to make a decision here. Similarly, when you're not married but involved with someone romantically. Hebrews 13.4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Notice it says here among all, not just married people, among children, among singles, among people who are seriously dating, non-seriously dating, just looking to have a good time. Everyone's supposed to hold this institution of marriage among honor because it's the greatest picture of Jesus and the church that the world has is marriage. The greatest tangible picture so we're all called to hold them in honor. Do you, do you bring this word with you when it says, let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You know why I add sexually immoral along with adulterous? Because it's a broader word. So for those people who say, oh, no, no, the Bible only says you're about sex to, to not have it with someone else if you're married. Actually, the sexual immoral has a much wider context to include any type of sexual act outside of marriage in the marriage bed. Do you bring that word with you? Again, I'm, I'm not asking you so much to ask the question, are you messing up, going too far? Are you, making the, dec- you know, making the decision to spoon on the sofa or using your best line, even though you know what that leads to when you use that great line of yours? But when facing the decision to take that next step, is God's word along with you? Do you think of something like Hebrews 13, 4? You know what? I'm supposed to hold marriage in honor here. Among all, do you face the decision to bring God's word along with you, either with either regret or rightness to follow? Does it come along anymore? You can think of millions of examples of this. All right, what about when your spouse repeats that he or she needs help, and you just don't hear it? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. When Ephesians five twenty five makes it very clear, that you're to love your spouse, especially you men, love your wives as Christ loves the church. You just ignore it. You don't hear it anymore. When a brother or sister is caught in sin, right in front of your face, you don't think of Galatians 6, 1 and 2 where Paul says, look, if a brother or sister is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. You've got to talk to them about it. Or you just keep ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it. Or what about you're constantly confronted with someone who's in physical need or material need over and over in your life and you just ignore it, even though James 2, 15 and 16 says, how is that true faith in Jesus to ignore the person in front of you who's in need? All these questions, it's not so much I'm asking you, do you do these things? We'll all make mistakes. But have you gotten to the point where God's word doesn't come to mind anymore? You're hardened to it. In verse 6, we're provided a sort of antidote where John says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's a broad statement, right? That's a big statement. Okay, so like we're just supposed to live out the whole Gospels? Like I need to move to Galilee and live like Jesus and do that the same way he walked in his life? The context here is about Jesus' own keeping of his Father's word, his own keeping of the commandments, keeping them with him. Now, if we could only think of an instance where in Jesus' life where he faced hard choices and used God's Word to combat temptation, where would that be? Where would that be? Yes, Matthew 4, where three times the devil tempts Jesus in the desert, and three times Jesus does what? He quotes Deuteronomy to the devil. Three times Jesus has God's Word near him, and he quotes it back the devil. Faced with that fork in the road. God's word is Jesus' compass. It's with him. So the key question for examining whether your faith is genuine here is when faced with what should be a hard choice, have you left behind and grown indifferent to the word of God? Now, if you can move past that, Here's the key strategy for strengthening yourself in this and maybe repenting when you do mess up. To find ways to keep God's word with you as you walk out the door. Find ways to do it. We talked about this at length last week through memory verses, Bible, like little apps for your smartphone, songs, memory songs are all there in last week's message if you want to listen to it. All kinds of ways. I want to brag on my wife though. I talked about her piles and what she leaves the house with every day. Sometimes she does forget her phone. God bless her. I love her. But one thing she doesn't forget, I love this, she has this next to the door. She walks out the door. Here's the last thing she sees. She walks out the door. Luke 1.37, for nothing is impossible with God. In other words, when she leaves her house every day, she tries to take God's word with her. Remember, nothing's impossible with God. She confronts each day with that. second way we tend to give in, according to John, is through isolation. Isolating ourselves. Look with me in verses 7 through 11. He says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and true light, the true light, is already shining. Whoever says he lives in light... And hates his brother is still in darkness. There we go again. Whoever says, you know, they're church-going person, religious person, but hates, hates his brother still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's even going because the darkness has blinded him. It's a curious statement John opens with here, right? That this commandment is old, not new, but it's also new. But unlocking this idea, unlocking this sort of odd statement is the key to how we can actually love successfully. How we can love people. Totally self-sacrificially. First of all, let's look. He says, love is old. This commandment to love, it's old. In verse 7, right? And we know this, Deuteronomy 6.5 right? Millennia, about a millennia before, more than that, two millennia before Jesus uttered these words again in Galilee. Moses uttered them. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And also, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus repeats these commandments. He embodies them but they're not new. The problem is, when these commandments were first uttered, back in the day, the problem is people tended to love in order to love themselves. They loved in order to be loved, as it is today, to give them the feeling that they are good, or so they could be mutually loved in return. That's how we begin loving other people, or what we call love. It usually ends in frustration because the other person doesn't provide us with the satisfaction we thought we were going to get. The feel-goodness consistently we thought we were going to keep within us, and they don't often even love us the way we feel like we should be loved. I once heard, uh, and by the way, this isolates us. We begin to feel isolated. We distance ourselves from people, if not physically, emotionally. I once heard Larry King. Remember Larry King? Old, kind of, you know, kind of old interviewing guy on CNN. He was replaced by Pierce Morgan. To shame. I like Larry King. He was a consummate interviewer. People liked him. Uh, even though the guy, uh, you know, it's hard to be likable me having been divorced eight times. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just hard after a while. He was divorced eight times to, s- to seven different women. Because <laughs> in his fifth marriage, he got married to his third wife. All right? Yeah. Go around that brain teaser for a while, all right? And he said this about his marriages and loving people in general. He said, you know, I've discovered something that resonates with a lot of other people I talk to. And he says, the three greatest words in the English language I have found are not, I love you, but leave me alone. (laughs) Right? You know what I'm saying? And, and, And we have that feeling. But that is a love without God. Right? Because we've experienced the hurt. We've experienced the emptiness. We've experienced the lack of satisfaction from trying to be kind to people, but not getting it back. Thankfully, though, to love is also a new commandment. We read this in verse 8. Read that again with me. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you. How is it new? Keep reading with me. Because, here's the key, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, if you were to turn back, and we will here, to Paul's letter again, second letter to the Corinthians again in chapter 3, you hear why Jesus is superior to the old way of living, to trying to love God on your own, trying to love your neighbor with your own strength, even the old religion is inferior. The old religion that his father established is inferior to this new faith established through Jesus Christ. Paul says this. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone, notice, this is a ministry, loving people, loving God, of death, doesn't work, doesn't produce life, carved in letters of stone, remember, the commandment, the old commandment, Letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? When you trust Jesus, God gives you his Holy Spirit to indwell in you and empower you. He goes on to say, basically, the old way of loving God and loving your neighbor was a ministry of condemnation. Meaning, you couldn't do it on your own. So there was no end other than being condemned. 2 Corinthians 3, 9. So that's why here back in in, in verse 8, because the darkness is passing away, the true light is already shining. And 2 Corinthians 3 concludes with a description of this light where Paul says, "Here's here's the point. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, giving us a relationship with God, direct relationship with God, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. Every time you get yourself in front of the Father, through the disciplines, the biblical disciplines, the ways God's given us to do that, through worship with other people, through the reading of his word, through prayer, through fellowship, Singing together. Celebration together. These are ways that we put ourselves in front of the Father. And we are changed a little bit each time. You may not feel it. From one degree of glory to the next. You Change and you grow. Friends, we, we all face a fork in the road when you fail at love. You experience failure at love. All of us do. My question is, have you withdrawn and isolated yourself? Have you tried to stay religious and spiritual dealing with people only if you must, almost as a contract? I've got to do this. Or, do you expose yourself daily to the glory of God and are so being changed to love without condition? Because this light's already shining in the face of the Father, and we can have it constantly through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, you can relate directly to God, you begin to change through the disciplines i talked about. The key question for examining then, whether your faith is genuine here, is having failed at love, do you isolate yourself spiritually from community? Have you said to yourself, I'm just not going to have community. I'm not going to have, you are determined not to have it. You're in a dangerous place. You're in a dangerous place, friends. I love you and I'm telling you that. John's telling you that, so I need to tell you that. If you're able to move past that, the key strategy for strengthening yourself When you do fail here, when you do fail to love someone, is to regularly relate to God through Jesus Christ and the biblical disciplines he gives so that the love of God will rub off on you. There's a third way, though, we give in. I really want us to hear this one. Verses 15 through 17. Indulgence. Third way we give in, indulgence. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So let's break this down. First, John tells us you cannot love The Father and the world. Things of the world. You cannot cling to both. The heart, all of human hearts only have room for one dominant love, one dominant master, one guide, one thing. There's no room for both. And having established this, he concludes at the end of the passage, we'll skip to verse 17, where he says the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of the God lives forever. So we have this contrast Let's unpack these statements here, both statements. First, this idea of abiding forever when we do the will of God. Jesus made a similar comment. He said this of doing the will of his Father. John 4, 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, to accomplish his work. That's my food. When I open the pantry every morning, that's what I'm looking for. When you see me get alone, you know it's not to grab my coffee and have my Danish in the morning, my food is to do his will. John 6 27, he says this to those who wish to follow him do not labor for the food that perishes, for the food that endure, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Idea of labor and food. Doing the work of the Father becomes our food, our nourishment. People love food. You know, and so this analogy applies like throughout history. First century A.D., 21st century A.D. here in Cayman, right? People love food. I mean, you can read, like if you don't believe me, you can go back and reach ancient historians, Plutarch, Livy, right? Josephus. They all agree that in Christ's time too, people love food. Associate food with deliciousness and pleasure. There's something about doing the work of God that satisfies the soul. It strengthens the spirit. When you join together with God and for God. But how do we do that when so many good things are in the world to love? So many good things, right? And he, he chronicles them here. Verse 16, all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride and possessions, the truth of God coming in Jesus Christ is miraculous. St. Augustine once said about God becoming man that Christ added to himself that which he was not he did not lose what he was you understand what he's saying he added to himself humanity he didn't lose his godness he added humanity similarly Christ doesn't so much take away what's authentically me but he adds to me he clothes me with Christ and the righteousness of Christ, He puts in me, the Holy Spirit, God, is this addition onto me. A transformed personality and life with God. So who cares if I shed a couple pounds of worthless habits, of poor traits, and attitudes? I get to add God inside of me and Christ my righteousness onto me. I had lunch with my friend Craig Scott this week. who got to fulfill his dream of a lifetime and attend the Masters Golf Tournament uh, recently at Augusta National. I wanted to put up a picture of Augusta National, but it wouldn't do it justice. Pictures don't do Augusta National, which is, is, in my opinion, the closest place to heaven on earth. All right, that when his wife said, oh yeah, Craig's not, I saw his wife a few days after the tournament. She said, oh, Craig's not back yet. I said, he probably died and just stayed in Augusta National. Like, that's where his spirit went to it's close close enough hard to describe how beautiful it is and he he described what it was like feel the grass i was like dude oh (laughs) i was enthralled as he described it at one point craig said you know but i will say this because you have to stay at certain holes you're there in person and it's like you know seven thousand five hundred yards of golf course if you stay at certain holes, you miss out on everything else going on during the tournament with other players and action and players at different holes that affect the outcome of the tournament that you don't get to see. He said he regrets not recording the tournament. And you know some ways, watching it on TV is better. Of course, I rebuked him at that point. <laughs> and I informed Craig, "Hey man, I recorded it, and since I have DVR capabilities, I'll make you a deal next time you get tickets to the Masters, I'll let you watch my DVR. And you just give me the tickets. What do you think? He told me to shut my mouth. (laughs) And that was a terrible deal. Um, Why would we settle for an imitation? Why would we settle for virtual reality in this world? I understand there's pleasure in it. Virtual reality, even in HD, when you can have the real thing. in Communion with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit added on to you and in you. Exactly why. The rubbish, the former is rubbish in comparison. Not that it's bad in and of itself, but it's rubbish in comparison. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He doesn't say the things of the world are bad, he says, just compared to the real thing, they're rubbish. Philippians 3 7 through 11, he describes it this way Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of. Of knowing Christ Christ indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord, for His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Listen to that, I count them as rubbish. If you got a King Jimmy Bible or New King Jimmy, you would see that as I count them as dung. Not that they are an of themselves, but they're like that or, compared to Christ to being gaining him, to being found in him, not even a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, to know the power of his resurrection, even sharing in his sufferings. That's far better. Far better. So of all these things, the quick indulgence of the flesh that John mentioned, the indulging your eyes, with that second, that third, that fourth look at a beautiful person, relying on possessions to make you feel secure about who you are and about your superiority to other people based on those possessions. Each of those things, John says, is passing away. Notice, I like how John puts it, it is passing away in the p- present perfect tense. It is happening right now. Why is that? We know that it's going to burn up one day. Because the more you consume of the world, Presently, the less satisfying those indulgences become. It's the law of diminishing returns. The more you invest in those indulgences, the less satisfying it becomes. You know this from life. But when you work with Jesus and for Jesus, there's a greater and more permanent pleasure which results in a greater and more permanent joy in us. So the key strategy here if you're struggling in this area, if you've failed in this area, is to meditate on, consider, think less about how you must say no to something smaller, how you might say yes to something greater. People think following Jesus, is all about sacrifice, it's all about sacrifice. Sacrifice will happen, but it happens as you focus on the greatness of being with him, the greatness of joining with him, the greatness of doing his work with Jesus helping you. That's where the focus is supposed to be. Now the key question for examining if your faith is genuine here from this passage, how tightly do you hold on to? How fiercely do you defend? How swiftly do you move from enjoying to indulging? How often do you think on and plan for those things that are not from God? If that is your obsession, without a struggle, you may have given in, friends. It's one thing if you are of two minds. It's a dangerous thing to be of one mind towards the world. Good friends invited Katie and I last night to see The Great Gatsby, uh, the movie based on the great Scott Fitzgerald book. I really wanted to go. I really wanted to go. But, it, you know, it's the greatest day of the week, Eve, Saturday night. I love Sundays. I my folks in town, glad to have them here. I'm grateful to have them here. Uh, in addition, our associate pastor was down for the count. But mainly, I had agreed weeks ago to attend this InterVarsity Christian Fellowship dessert, this vision and fundraising dessert. We are getting to our island, the international version of InterVarsity, which is a student-focused outreach and fellowship. Here in Grain-Cammett, focused on high schoolers and college students, it's awesome if you know anything about InterVarsity. Tommy Wilkerson is the guy's name who's heading that up, and I've been meeting with him a good bit. He's attended our worship services a little bit, but during men's breakfast. I preferred indulging myself in a little Leonardo DiCaprio. All right, a little Leo. All right, and the Great Gatsby. I'm going to throw that out there. I struggled with that. As I was driving, i like, ah, I'd just be better. Give be some friends. And it wouldn't have been bad. I'm not saying I'm indulging in the world if I would have done that, but I struggled I'm so glad that I went to this dessert because God moved me to the joys of participating in something greater. In a ministry, in a vision, supporting a brother in Christ. While there, a woman named Michelle shared her testimony and trusting her life through Tommy's ministry and intervarsity while at the University of Tampa. Michelle is now back home here in Cayman serving and growing in a solid word-centered church. But as she reflected back just over a year ago, she commented on how she was lost in darkness, how she couldn't understand why she attended church from pretty much her whole life. Why I feel so lost, because that can happen. That can happen. And she said as much. But she began encountering Jesus in the Gospel of Mark through inner varsity. She encountered his power and the forgiveness Jesus shows in the Gospel of Mark. A little later, she admitted to some folks that every time she visited home, though, in Grand Cayman while she was at university, she struggled with a secret indulgence. She would come visit back home and she would indulge secretly in sin. And she couldn't overcome it. Each time she tried, she couldn't. Now, what was going on there in her life that she was sharing with all of us? Did you hear it? Did you hear when her life was entrusted to Jesus and she began to change? it was when she encountered the real Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And what happened? She began to struggle. She began to struggle. That's what happens, friends, when you get a new creation fighting the old sinful nature. It's a real genuine faith, but there's a war. Only then could the new creation rise up to meet and defeat a long-entrenched sinful nature over time. Over time. She was worried, am I really a Christian? She didn't know. She trusted Christ because the struggle began. She would rely on God's Spirit within her to start hating sin, to love others as much as herself, to find pleasure in the work of God around her more than her secret indulgences. Same for us, friends. This morning, as we hear God's word, there are three results you could get from this test and three opportunities to respond. Perhaps by the grace of God, man, you respond obediently to keeping God's word with you, loving your neighbor unconditionally, avoiding the world and indulging in your fight against sin. And this morning is an opportunity for thanksgiving, like Michelle gave thanksgiving last night. Glory to Christ who helps us. Is an opportunity then to strengthen your defenses with the strategies I've mentioned. There's a second response. That's you're convicted of your guilt, which is a good thing. That's evidence of what the Bible calls a fleshy and new heart. You might say, yeah, man, I, I have been indulging. I haven't been bringing God's Word with me, and so I've been making the wrong choices. I know that. You can repent with these strategies I've mentioned. to Find a way to keep God's Word with you as you walk out the door. Right, Relate to God directly, the God of love directly, to get love and get involved with doing a work with and for Jesus to satisfy your soul. But maybe this morning there's a third response. Your posture this morning, listening, that God's Word being read and preached, you're hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You've given into to it. How do you know that's true? Because you're sitting there and you're thinking, that's not me. You're defensive. You're blind. You're justifying in your mind why you do what you do. I want to tell you, friends, you're in a dangerous place there. The good news is today is you can just admit that to God. So you begin to worship in a moment. To admit that, lay down your pride, and trust your life to the one who proved a far greater love and purpose for you than you've ever before known or lived for. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that this morning. That I trust, Lord, there are folks here, I believe, I sense it, who are starting to let their guard down. Most of, most of as we read the word and we preached through it, Lord. We learned from it. Defensive, had the guard up. That's not me. Here's, I'm rationalizing. Here's why I do this. Father, you are breaking down those defenses. I pray you would help us just let down our pride. Admit that we need a Savior and trust our life to you. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen.